Hello and welcome back beyond the sofa. We're back, right? Yes, talking Doctor Who again. We've got three episodes: uh, Ghost Monument, uh, Rosa, and Spiders in Sheffield. Yeah, Spiders in Sheffield, Arachnids in the UK. Uh, what we're starting to call um, Sheffield Webster. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a mixed bag this time, do you think, Dave? It is. It is. I mean, normally we do two episodes, but just by virtue of circumstance, we're on three mm. this time. There are a fair three episodes to leap into, I think. There certainly are three episodes to leap into, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, but here, we, here we are. We first, we, we, we're into the new series proper. We've got the opening credits. What do you reckon, mm. Peter? We have a title sequence, the explosive mm. diarrhea in a fishbowl sequence. Uh, <laughs> now we know what those, uh, d- d- those Dalek plungers are for. <laughs> Ed plumbing. Having said that, though, I, I have been quite disparaging last time about the theme tune. Yeah, it's it's grown on me quite a bit. I, I find that it's it's uh, very evocative, and I enjoy the tune. I like the tune too. It's it's, it's a lot drummier than I thought I would it would be. Mm. Particularly, sort of when we last talked about this, I thought oh, they've, they've scaled the drums down. But apparently, they actually have brought the drums down a little bit from. Ghost Monument, but to hear them the first time I thought, oh, it's a little bit more gold than I anticipated. In terms of the visuals, yeah, but it is actually quite refreshing. You've got 3D in there, or at least 3D rendering, and an element of space. I can't tell you, Dave, how much I do not miss the -the on-the-nose cogs and clock faces of the Capaldi. Yes, and the 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 kazoo players in the souk yes falling down the stairs well there the, yeah, there were there were two bad ingredients to make just a distasteful souffle to mm. me and this is more to the spirit of the series mm. um, something mysterious something nebulous and a bit more spacey but speaking of uh, nebulous and spacey yes so new doctor what 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 how are you finding the new doctor four episodes in yeah still enjoying her I fear she, you know, she has a face for kids, I think. Mm. Uh, there are times when she's serious, and there are times when she's a little bit whimsical. And there are times when she turns on this sort of uh, zany, doctorish charm, more mm. of which inevitably later. Uh, but I sort of feel like there are two faces she pulls. There's the, I've smelt something stinky, mm-hmm. and I've done something stinky. <laughs> I just... <laughs> It's, I still have yet to find she's grounded yet. Um, that's not meant to be a bad thing, but I remember with Capaldi feeling the same. It took a long time to just feel like the Doctor had landed into the role. And even up to... Um, and I, I can't think of the title now. It's Sheffield Webster in my head. <laughs> Web affair. Even now, she, she's talking about whether she's, she's not quite sure of herself as in who she is and hmm. is this social anxiety or am I just awkward or yeah. And, and it would be nice to have a bit more grounding, I think. I mean, it's, it's not a complaint about the acting involved in the character, but it just seems a little bit directionless. I wonder whether it's a bit of a cheat on the, on the, the part of either the writers or the showrunner and that... You know, you can sort of throw a few things up where you can say, we'll see what sticks and, and wave it away as, oh, you know, I'm not quite cooked yet. Mm. Uh, a little bit of post-generative instability to sort of hark back to the 80s. But there, there are moments in there, the little mo- gleams of moments where I'm just going, oh, <laughs> Banksy, <Go> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, uh, certainly the wheels have not fallen off. Um, mm. I, I think for what it is, she pretty much has settled into the character she's going to be. Mm. I just think this is all part of 
what seems to be the raison d'etre of this series and it is another stepping on point yeah we're not going to be heavily into continuity and the mythology or mythologizing mythologizing the doctor oh mythologizing the doctor no no but i think there are some discussions to be had about the mythology it's building but um, more on that later yep Yep, I I think I know where you're coming from. But in terms of presenting an uncomplicated Doctor with recognisable points and ticks and traits, (laughs) we're already stepping into this territory. Yeah, I think what we're looking at is something which is possibly a little bit Tennant, a little bit Smith, and Mm. and otherwise mostly harmless. But speaking of characters that are grounded, I'm hugely impressed by the friends. Well, can we call them companions anymore? But I, I don't know. Fam, I think the word is now. I don't know. No, I, think, I think I think fam has tried that twice, didn't quite fly. Mm, um, mm. But but definitely, well, actually, no. We've got two space space orphans and a police woman. Um, so <laughs> Grace orphans. Grace orphans. Yeah. No, I'm actually really impressed by how well the other three TARDIS occupants are doing. Uh, I think Yaz is is basically a new Barbara for this generation and. Gosh. Very much down to earth and practical. And, and I think she's, a, between her and Graham, they're a good foil to the, the manic pixiness that sometimes you see Ooh. in the Doctor. No. That's brutal, manic pixie. Well, um. well, yes, but I, I eat danger for breakfast now, actually. I like cornflakes. It's a doctorish line, but it has the danger of maybe sliding into a little bit ditzy. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It just. They're playing it. There's a fine line that they're playing very well. This really fine, tweedy coated line between uh, an absent minded boffin genius and an airhead. And while they've done really well dancing on the right side of it in the moment, I'm not sure how much longer that can be sustained. But you have this lovely contrast of these relatively straight foils. And the thing with Graham being he's so straight, it's actually a comedy in itself. Hmm. Okay. What do you think of the companions, but Peter? I'm enjoying them. I, I think uh, these three episodes tell a particular story, and having the benefit of whether you call it hindsight or just the the, the ability to sort of tune into a few other opinions whilst we were busy podcasting about other things over the past couple of weeks. One of the themes that seems to have come through is, is you know, when is Yaz going to have an episode of her own? Mm. And we've we've pretty much got that now. I think we've ha- had some solid beats for all three, let's call them companions, mm. in these stories. And oh, I, I don't think I'm alone at all in, in saying that I really like Graham. I think Bradley Walsh is doing a fantastic job. Mm. I never saw him in Sarah Jane Adventures. I didn't see him in Law and Order UK. So to me, he is Mr. Saturday Night. He's, you know, the... Uh, the palladium mm-hmm. and he's the chase it's quite quite good on the chase quite enjoyable but he's got some lovely nuances as graham and actually arachnids in the uk just is a bit of a showcase for him mm. um in some scenes quite quite moving no definitely definitely have we, we haven't given ryan any any feedback yet again when everyone's power housing it he's doing subtle and he's doing quiet mm. and he's doing he's actually very easy to possibly not rate him highly enough because he's actually playing it very quietly and straight and it's actually really nice to watch him just work with the other two and add to the dynamic Hmm. but by being grounded i think it's nice 
being grounded plus an, an element of impulsiveness. And I mm. think that comes through in, in all three episodes, but <laughs> oh, particularly yes. in, in Ghost Monument. Yes. Um, and, and also in Rosa. I mean, he essentially dispatches the villain at the end under yes. his own steam. I can't think of a story where that would have happened where there were no consequences. Of course, it might be a little bit early to talk about consequences. I think we'll put a pin in that and we'll, we'll yes. come to the end. <laughs> Shall we start digging into the stories proper? Yes. So first story, of course, is the aforementioned Ghost Monument written by Christopher Chibnall and directed by Mark Tonderay. Yep. Ghost Monument, it's a bit of a romp. I think that's all it is. Mm. It, it, to me, it just seemed to be pretty much set up to be Let's Find the TARDIS, uh, which could have been done in the first episode. They decided to stretch it into the second episode. That's fine. Mm. A few links between it and the woman who fell to earth. Obviously, the mention of those um, those uh, aliens and the, the Tim Shoreans, yes, yeah, the Tim Shoreans. Yeah, <laughs> struggled for the name. You know, obviously picking up where it left off, which which was a great cliffhanger, resolved a little bit perfunctorily. I mean, what are the chances that you have two spaceships racing against one another? Both of them stop and pick up refugees. I'm sure the hitchhi- you take the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> and find the balance of probability in there. Well, they're probably both powered by infinite improbability drives. Mm, yeah. mm, mm. Possibly a Blake 7 reference as well, uh, the planet also known as Desolation, which Kerr-Avon, Kerglin, being another name for Desolation. I don't know, the things mm. that pop into your head as you watch. Mm. Uh, and a reference to the Moomins. Hooray! <laughs> I thought you might like that, yeah. <laughs> but yes, the race itself is a bit perfunctory. Uh, the planet seems a bit less deadly than described, and there's a lot of describing. Yes, yes. Lo- lovely to see Art Malik in there, though. He was... Pretty much just see? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a big fan, but he deserves more than just to be sitting down. Well, again, everyone seemed to vanish at the end, literally. I wonder mm. if we're going to see some of these people again. Well, so far, everybody is vanishing at the end, mm. you know, whether they uh, get their comeuppance or not. And it had been remarked at the first three episodes, the baddie or stand-in baddie essentially dematerializes at the end of well, the story. I'd uh, say I'd say all four of them, even if you, if, if you dematerialize into a cloud of fake news brandishing a pistol. Um, that's what <laughs> happened at the end of episode four as well. But uh, we're probably getting ahead of ourselves. Mm. I found the direction of Ghost Monument a bit odd. It was all, and again, it was the same for Rosa. It's all very sort of funny close shots and shaky cams and I just couldn't get a feel for, you know, things being big and, you know, you've got this lovely background of South Africa Mm. with Ghost Monument, but all the shots are sort of tight shots of people's heads talking to each other. And even when they get inside the TARDIS at the end, it all feels quite claustrophobic. You don't get a sense of, vista and scale I, I felt which was just a bit odd I, I, don't, I don't know about you any thoughts there well certainly inside the TARDIS it does feel very claustrophobic but then our, our TV is quite an old one and it doesn't do light and shade particularly well so oh, for okay. example you know, everything I'm watching at the moment from the Arrowverse mm-hmm. looks like it's night time inside a room so the TARDIS looked especially small when we got there I don't remember. I mean, I've, I've, I've watched Confession Time. I watched Ghost Monument once, uh, and then it got removed off our PVR, mm-hmm. and I never got a chance to have a look at it again. I remember there were some sort of wide shots, and, and they made a bit of, you know, the TARDIS and its arrival sort mm. of 
on the on the horizon. Oh yes, yes, but you could see the feature shots. It, it just all felt a bit two-dimensional in places. I don't know. I'm, I'm mm. and and mm. everyone's backstory was a sob story, and you know, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It, it, it was all a bit episode by numbers. But again, what do you expect for a bit of a romp? Yes, and a limited cast. Three, essentially three other speaking roles apart from the uh, the remnants. Oh, good. Good use of Susan Lynch. I again a bit of a fan. I remember her from the uh, Secret of Rowaninish. I think. Have you ever seen that? No, no, I'm afraid not. Heard of it? Um, no, sorry. I've... Irish movie about selkies. Oh, okay, right, fair enough. Uh, and uh, uh, another uh, little trivia who point. She's in a movie with uh, Paul McGann, which I remember being promoted somewhat. I think in in SFX magazine, sort of well mid nineties. It's called Downtime. I. Almost had a wee frisson of excitement when uh, I thought I saw it in a bargain bin at the warehouse, and it turned out it was uh, actually it was a real time pictures down. Oh right! So get my hand in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, like Susan Lynch, um, I think she's also in Monroe, which was a medical drama over the past couple of years. Don't remember Sean Dooley at all, and for the life of me, couldn't remember the names of the characters Angstrom and Epso, uh, yes. respectively. Apparently, I did like the Emma James reference with the killer bed sheets. <laughs> oh, the remnants. They're they're very M. R. James monsters for those who are into their old school Victoriana creepy mm. stories, uh, bed sheets that kill you. Oh yes, whistle and I'll come to you. Yeah, yeah. but I must admit, getting quite a, a, a sort of frisson of impending uh, disappointment when they started <laughs> burbling about the timeless child. And if this is going oh, to be another, hybrid, I could have done with that. That yeah, yeah it's just like oh no. And a cigar that lights itself with a click of the fingers is a health and safety nightmare. Yes, yes, uh, almost as much as TARDIS doors that open with a click of fingers do. Mm. The one thing I, th- I thought about the remnants were they're not especially toyetic, Dave. Oh, no, you can make one out of a hanky. There you go. Yeah, but you can't sell one. <laughs> no, but the, if anything's going to come back from this episode, I don't think the remnants are it. But yeah, I might be wrong. Speaking of the remnants, uh, we should probably shout out to our good friends at Space Spinner 2000, because I'm sure I'm not the only one who, as they dug themselves a hole to escape, was thinking of Rogue Trooper. (laughs) Yes, of course, only in the past week (laughs) has that come up again. That's pretty much all I really had to say about Ghost Monument. Yeah, I think so, yeah. The race didn't convince me. Uh, Running away from a spaceship as it's crashing towards you. Run sideways. Well, if you're in a ditch, you count very well. Um, But run towards... It's about mm, to overshoot you. Maybe, maybe. Well, you might, we'll get wiped out by any jet blast, I suppose. But yeah. No, so, well, or thrown out of, uh, who knows, Hollywood, Hollywood physics. Speaking of race uh, issues, Peter. <laughs> well, before we get to Rosa, okay. uh, returning to the TARDIS interior, yep. I got a big McGann vibe off it, mm. in that I'd forgotten, of course, that the Coral TARDIS also has buttress mm. girder. Well, they're, they're coral, of course, but the, you know the, the buttress-like uh, struts, which first were in the TV movie. Now they're made out of some sort of Himalayan salt lamp for this doctor, and a big crystalline element, and and they're the source of illumination as well. Mm, not very particularly good, but it's it's definitely mm. more custard cream than Daddy, Jamie Dodger. Yeah, yeah, the you know the gadgetiness of the the console. I haven't really, I don't really feel like I've seen it. No. Yet, but, but yeah, there's, there's an element of whimsy. There's, there's a little TARDIS on it, and mm. there's a, an hourglass. And, yeah, as you say, the custard cream dispenser, which, you know, one and done, thanks, guys. 
Anyway, within that same recording block, of course, we have Rosa, also shot in South Africa, written by Marjorie Blackman and Chibnall again. Mm. Although I don't know if that was, it, it's, it's more a case of he was a guiding hand there but to get the, mm. get the I show would say, Because to me, they're very different stories. <laughs> but from the get-go, all the incidental trumpets made me think it was more like Star Trek or even Quantum Leap. Which I actually found more annoying than the jazzy in tune, but I think some people may have a different mileage on that one. Oh, yes, I mean, uh, Rise Up. Yes. Yeah, I think any sort of objection I'd had, I think, might have been the fact that it was playing over the end credits, and, and you know, was that necessary? Mm. I don't think we'll remember it in time to come. At least that element. Uh, I think it's a great story. I really did enjoy it. Watched it twice. Second time actually had a more effect on me than the first. <laughs> okay. I enjoyed it. I probably wasn't particularly moved by it, but I'm not the target audience anymore. But I don't think it was wrong to do the story. I think if you're going to do an episode about any sort of subject in recent history involving human rights, Mm. it's going to have to sound a bit, not preachy, but you're going to have to make your point. And they did. So, Mm. And I really enjoyed... Again, uh, checking my white privilege at the door, because uh, let's be honest about it, I, it's not something I have to deal with, but the um, the discussion between Yaz and Ryan, just giving it a context. Mm. Yeah, that, that, that a lot has changed and yet a lot hasn't changed. Mm. Yeah, a nice reminder, of course, that Yaz has to her character as well, that she is Muslim and that um, prejudice is not always in appearance. Mm. <laughs> Although, what did you think of her being mistaken as... We've been taken for Mexican. I thought that was quite funny. But in fairness, you know, if you are Indian, Pakistani, mm. even Middle Eastern, or Cliff Curtis, they're going to mm. think you're Mexican in, in 1950s America. Simple as that. Yeah. Not a big presence. No. I, I did love the Banksy gag. The Banksy gag was great. <laughs> yes. Or was it? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoyed the casting, particularly Vidit Robinson yes. as, uh, as Rosa. She very was, good. She was very lovely. good. It um, complemented the dialogue, which I thought was very naturalistic. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really very much that was sort of, let's describe the action, or as I've heard described, big finish on the screen, where there's just far too much telling. Well, yeah, I, I didn't think of it, but it did have the feel of a big finishy thing. I, I wasn't super impressed with Captain Jack, not Jack, the, the villain of the piece. Carrasco is definitely the weak link. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you need him in the story, and it's it's a it's it's a good need because I would sooner have a loose end villain of the piece to take the Doctor away from the action than the Doctor come in to save the day. Possibly, the thing which got me was just I found the fact that he was a future bigot just felt a bit odd. I mean, it, I I would have felt better if he was an alien, and when he was going your kind, he meant humankind. And he was trying to nudge history for a different agenda. It just seemed to make him a bit of a patsy. Well, if if you read him directly as you know a bigot against African Americans or, or a particular group, but maybe maybe he's an equal opportunities bigot, and his view of where it all went wrong was the mobilisation of a movement which mm. is geared around human rights rather than a particular group in society. I wish I could read it that uh, generously. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> oh, I I did think zapping him back to the past was very sapphire and steel and I did like to have, actually see a story about time travel and Doctor Who you mm. know, and, and meddling with history he's no Peter Butterworth I'll give him that though. 
No, it's interesting. He had real limitations, so he had to he had to be sneaky, which which I quite quite liked as well. Mm. We weren't really dealing we're dealing with anachronisms unless you count the Tardis crew themselves, and it put me in mind that the past few weeks because. Here we go again. The, the Arrowverse shows have been steadily returning. I had to sort of do a quick crash course in Legends of Tomorrow. I, I had a whole lot saved on our recorder. And that is all about time travel. And whenever they go back in time, you can be sure that they're going to be dressed for the occasion. Mm. Uh, <laughs> slips of the tongue and your general skin color are probably not going to be the greatest, or only, shall we say, issue in uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, if you're dressed like a member of the Rainbow cast mm-hmm. <laughs> and everything else that they were sporting just wandering around. And even Carrasco, his facial hair, 10 out of 10 for the for the pomade in the hair, but mm-hmm. that man-styling beard, completely off point. Well, well yeah, maybe. <laughs> I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something that wasn't letting me get quite into the episode. I'm not saying it's bad, and we're back to my old argument. If I'm watching it with my kids, and my kids are loving it for the first time as mm. a family watching a new series of Doctor Who, mission accomplished, even if I'm not super into it. Again, it's, I don't think it's anything to do with the content of the episode, just something about it wasn't quite flying for me. But, but ultimately, Doctor Who can be anything, so there's no reason why it can't be like this occasionally. No, no. In terms of how the family reacted to it how were yours oh but they enjoyed it hmm. yeah they, they got into it i think there was some confusion about some of the details my, my my children are old enough to be learning about such things but haven't quite grasped the implications it's hmm. it's interesting didn't bat an eyelid when they're people talking about my wife died my wife died too things like that just yep yeah, cool whatever hmm. yeah the things that you'd expect to cause eyebrows to be raised amongst the more traditional fans just wash over them completely. Mm. In terms of, yeah, my whānau, yeah, it was pretty good. Um, Junior and I did spend a wee bit of time earlier in the week sort of accidentally talking about Rosa Parks. I was playing the Neville Brothers song mm-hmm. when he sort of came into the room and he said, oh, what's this? What's this about? And I told him a bit about that. And actually she had a wee sort of cameo in a, a movie we were watching over the weekend as well, Justice League New Frontier. There was a wee sort of... Oh, uh, right, yes. Because it's set in the 50s. Mm-hmm, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a wee newspaper clipping about Rosa Parks. So he's he's sort of becoming aware of, of the, the historical element to it. So he was reasonably engaged. That's pretty much as, as far as it went. A lot of it's uh, rather academic otherwise. Mm. Sorry, you were speaking before about being dressed funny for Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah, I'm not sure about shouting your plans across a crowded bus. <laughs> no. No, no. Oh, gosh, there's so much to talk about in this episode. That bus scene at the end, I think, was the best bit about it. Mm. I think you know the irony and Graham wanting no part in it. Yes. But having to be part of it. But not having to be the centre of it. Mm. But the fact that, you know, we're all players in the theatre of history. And some of us have bit parts and some of us are walk-ons. Yeah. And I think that's a big idea for, for who. Um, particularly after a lot of similar stories in the new series mm. where the Doctor's been right in the middle and doing the big speech and shaking Shakespeare's hand and all of this sort of stuff mm. to actually be a story where the Doctor gently nudges others mm. and doesn't take the limelight and wants to leave as few ripples as possible. Well, maybe that's a habit of Northern Doctors. Maybe it is, but I appreciated it. Mm. 
what is it, the quote on Facebook recently, everyone worries about these time travel stories where people go back and make small changes that change the world irrevocably, but no one thinks about making small changes usually and changing the world irrevocably. <laughs> Big comment. Speaking of the world today... Well, I was going to say, speaking of things that are bigger than they probably should be. (laughs) (laughs) That's touche. We have arachnids in the UK. Right down on my my notes here, I've written arachne in the UK, which seems sort of rather symptomatic of it. To me, there's there's a way this story could have been better in lots of places, Mm. and it isn't. I, I actually f- enjoyed this one the most of the ones so far. I really enjoyed the way it was constructed and the, the whole point of the, it's not about the spiders, it's actually about the, the waste dumping and how that's actually set up quite early on. You just don't realise it. I enjoyed it even though we have, um, yes, i got to be honest, the Jack Robinson Trump, Trump analogy, I sort of, I'm a bit over it now. I mean, I'm sick of it in real life. I don't need it in my favourite show. <laughs> You know, if you think it's familiar, consider that this sort, of, this same sort of joke of a uh, you know a, a business mogul with ideas above a station, and everything going haywire in one of his own buildings, goes all the way back to Gremlins too, and that was John Glover <laughs> playing Donald Clamp. Oh, crikey! <laughs> yes, uh, we've never we've never learned. We've no, learned. Um, uh, no. I mean, um, uh, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday. I've only got a few notes for it. I've only seen it once. I haven't watched it with my family because of the busy week we've had with Halloween and my daughter is sort of working herself up to watching it in the daylight. She doesn't want to watch it in the evening because she doesn't like spiders. I showed her a little clip of the first spider and she goes, oh, it's not that big. I think I can Mm. handle it. (laughs) But everyone's knocking it out of the park. I do have a slight issue with the sonic screwdriver becoming a bit of a magic wand that gets flourished around and waved about a bit. That flourishing is actually what does my head in with it. Mm. The fact that you sort of now stand back and hold it at arm's length like it's some sort of you know firecracker. Yeah. Whereas Tom and the doctors of his generation would have subtly waved it across and mm. carried on with the dialogue. Mm. Uh, but now it's a very showy piece of kit. Mm. In fact, you know, we'll see it in action. We'll see it light up. We'll, we'll hear it make a sound. Mm. I can only compare that to, you know, Pertwee detonating landmines on a Dover beach. But that, that had a purpose, then you would be holding it at arm's length. Again, speaking back to Northern Doctors, it's like the difference between Eccleston and uh, Tennant resonating concrete. Mm. One is an exercise in futility and the other is blowing the bloody doors off. Mm. Speaking of Eccleston and Tennant, this is, uh, that's the era that, to me, this story really recalls. Mm. I, I put down here a note saying Nouveau Retro yeah, because it's not, it, it's a lightweight story. It's aliens in London. It's... Um, God, is it fair here? Uh, it, it's an intrigue in the modern day with not a lot of consequence. Don't ask too many questions. I think the, the, the big issues that come out of this adventure are nothing to do with the spiders. I have a mm. funny feeling Jack Robinson will turn up again, just the same way I've got a nagging feeling Tim Shaw will turn up again. Well, you know, you get Christopher North and you want to get your money's worth. That's true. And um, the other thing is Yaz's family, I think, will hopefully show up again because they're, they're sort of fun. They're not annoying Mm. as Martha's family, but they're not as fun as Rose's contemporaries. They're not as involved. I was thinking about, you know, how much do we need her family in this? Her mother didn't need to have been sacked because she's there in the story anyway. And, and, you know, we already know that Jack Robinson's a git. And haven't we seen that sister 
type before with Martha. I don't, I don't know. There was yeah, and and and, and the, the the dad is your your generic television dad. Yeah, slightly crap, yeah. but hapless, but harmless. I think the the whole point with Yaz's family is to contrast that Graham and Ryan are orphans. Mm. It's as simple as that. She's the only one who's really got a home to go to. And yet, of the three of them, she's the one who enters the TARDIS again because she wants something bigger and better. Mm. I mean, she she obviously says that with Ryan and, and Graham. Well, Graham says, morning takes time, and I don't know if I really want to do that. Mm. And Ryan doesn't want to go back to the to the warehouse bagging mm. boxes, uh, so they've both got something they want to get away from. Yes, is the one. Interestingly, she's the one who is running towards something. Mm. She doesn't know what it is yet. And an interesting speech from the Doctor. You know, you go through these doors and you'll come back changed, which I like. Mm. Uh, I again, I I find it a nice opposition to, you know, you go through these doors and you get to be your cheeky self and turn the universe in the way you want it mm. which <coughs> Clara yeah, um, well again everyone seems a bit more grounded in reality mm. yeah these are people I'd like to travel with yeah 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 totally now I've got a question for you yes science yes <laughs> hey we're watching Doctor Who what's science got to do with it science only enters the story at the end and I thought it was interesting that you know the mother spider gets too big to actually sustain oh, herself, yes. which I thought was interesting. I guess you could possibly then retcon the fact that the spiders are very, very slow, and normally, you know, you scale things up. They should, you know, be able to lift lift houses and run at eighty kilometers an hour, and they don't. No, they don't. No, it's um, it's, it's, it's an inverse square law. I remember hearing it first about the ants and them. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like if you if you pick up a, an ant and throw it on the ground, it doesn't go spliff. It, because mm. it's so mm. light, it just bounces and runs away. Mm. I can't explain it in the podcast. <laughs> My brain it's is a bit It's a really tired. good episode of, of Infinite Monkey Cage where they talk about Yes, this. yes, exactly. And basically, the smaller you are, the greater it is. <laughs> we'll, we'll try and find it and put it in the show notes. Mm. Just a question, though. My question for you. Mm. Did anyone actually tell anyone about the story? Is there actually a clean-up crew sorting this out? I missed it the first time watching it. And... Well, you say it's all about a rubbish dump at the end of a lane, sorry, uh, under a building. <laughs> but um, that doesn't really get tidied up. No. Yeah, we, we, we lure all of the <coughs> conveniently close by spiders into a panic room and yes. starve them over a course of six months. <laughs> That's nice. And you probably didn't even know but to leave them a tin opener, frankly. So six months is uh, ambitious at the best. But, yeah, what's, it, what's actually done to the tip? What about the spider trapped in the flat? Mm-hmm. I read an uh, I read an argument on, online, and uh, while I disagree with it, it sort of got me thinking. It's like, what would happen differently in this story if the doctor wasn't there? And you're sitting there going, the ones the ones in the panic room, uh, you know, Jack Ryan might have got eaten. Is this a bad thing? Yeah, well, the whole flat scenario. Not much would have changed because the doctor was responsible for them getting into the flat. Mm. Otherwise, you know, unless the spider gets out of the flat. No, no, but what I mean is there's a, there's a spider still in the flat. We haven't seen that being tidied up. Assume it is, but. Mm. Mm. But I have a funny feeling under a better, not a better, under a more comprehensive hand or a hand that I would have liked to see, there would have been a scene at the end with the TARDIS landing in the, the lock up room and everyone's in hazmat suits playing funky music to cart the spiders away to Metabilis or something. Mm. The idea of leaving them to there to starve is just not a very doctorish thing. 
No, I, th- I think to me it's symptomatic of the, the, the unfinished aspect to the story. Mm. Uh, and the whole snake-whacking day solution to the story was just a bit sort of... Uh, mm. What happens to the spiders? Wouldn't the landfill smell? How does mutation occur within within the same generation? <laughs> it's very Marvel comics. Yeah, it is. And where was all the rubbish coming from? Mm. I assume it's meant to tie up to the stuff in Dad's flat, but... Mm. Mm. If there's any message to the whole story, it's that we can't go on together with suspicious minds. <laughs> yes, you win the episode. <laughs> <laughs> For what it's worth. Uh, <laughs> um, we certainly can't build our dreams on them. <laughs> I just want to uh, once again highlight to me the, the best part of the episode, which is, and it's a bit of a downer, which is Graham returning to, to his home. No, but it is. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how the kids are going to react to that bit, but um, as a person getting older, the thing which is impressing me most about the new series is the groundedness of the companion characters. And, mm. and maybe that's why I'm finding the Doctor being a little bit erratic still, uh, just a little jarring, or just a little... Mm. But... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll carry on. Yeah. I'm happy with the series. It's not, there hasn't been any fist-pumping episodes for me as a fan, but I haven't wanted to throw my TV out the window either. And like I said, we're watching as a family and everyone's enjoying it. Yeah, Mission and everybody's still tuning in. Definitely. Mission accomplished. Mm. So we're almost halfway through now? T- ten, four, yeah, 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 I suppose so. Yes, we'll, yeah. we'll have two more yeah. episodes of three maybe. We'll see how mm. we go. Uh, which is uh, so? Next one is the uh, is the Tauranga. Um Tauranga. T S. Yeah. Yeah. You you might say that, but uh, I'm reading it as Tauranga. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> Listeners overseas, Tauranga is a, a city on the coast of New Zealand, uh, barely an hour away from where I live. So, huh. and after that, we're off to the Punjab. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Goes to the Punjab. But crikey, we're burning through the guest star list very, very quickly, aren't we? Well, as long as they're, be- they're well used, that would be the main thing. Mm. Speaking of well used, <laughs> I think that's us. I think that is us. I hope you, you are enjoying the series as much as we are, or hopefully mm. even more so. Uh, oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode for us, Dave, is going to be another Where Eagles Dear, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes. Um, but if you're not tuning into that, well, we'll see you for Doctor Who in probably two or three weeks. Very good. So in the meantime, it's a very good night from me. And it's a good night from me. Good night. Good night. <laughs>